Amen. All right, First Samuel. Last week we were in chapter 17. We did the whole thing of David and Goliath. And uh, we ended at the end, and Saul was interviewing David, and he was wondering whose son he was. And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. And the reason he asked him that is not because he didn't know who David was, but he needed to know who his dad was. Because remember, he made a vow, whoever took out the the Philistines would be able to marry his daughter. And so he needed to know, okay, well, who do I make this deal with now? So that's, that's where we left it last week. And today we're going to take a couple chapters, hopefully, and we're going to be looking at the dangers of jealousy and the blessings of friendship. Chapter 18 deals with this jealousy that Saul has in his heart. And remember, up to this point, King is still the acting king, or Saul is still the acting king, but the Spirit of the Lord has departed him, and it's come upon David because David is God's choice for uh, the king of Israel. And um, Saul hasn't comprehended that yet. He doesn't know that yet. And uh, Saul is being tormented by a spirit. David is brought in to play the lyre and dance or whatever he does to help him feel better. And it seems when he does that, the spirit leaves. And so they're in this kind of a weird situation here. And... Now, uh, David took on the Philistines. He took on Goliath. Remember, he had five stones, killed him with one. And most people believe that the other four were for Goliath's brothers. <laughs> First Chronicle tends to think that David took them out as well. Anyway, uh, we find ourselves in chapter 18 now, dealing with this uh, problem, this danger of jealousy. One thing I found just doing a word study on the word jealousy. Uh, It appears some 45 times, but the Hebrew word for jealousy appears over 80 times in the Old Testament. Sometimes it's translated envious. Sometimes it's translated zealous or jealous. Uh, The New Testament, on the other hand, um, it it has the word uh, zilu, and it is translated in its different forms 35 times. And it's used in such words as zeal, envy, desire, covet, and jealousy. There is another word uh, that the Greeks have, not just for jealousy, but for envy. And it's a a different word than the previous one. And uh, the Greeks made a distinction between envy and jealousy. And so envy appears to desire to deprive what someone else has Someone else's property, someone else's whatever, friends. You're envious. You, you, you want to deprive them of what they have. Jealousy actually decide, desires to have the same things that someone else has, but have them for yourself. So that's kind of the distinction there. In 1 Corinthians, and this is kind of introduction to chapter 18, but 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3 Paul says this, For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? 
So jealousy in the New Testament is described as carnality, as fleshly, you might say. Uh, It's also described as part of the lusts of the flesh in Romans 13. Remember when we went through that in verses 13 and 14, it says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling, and then there's that word again, jealousy, not in jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So, it's described in Romans as the lust of the flesh. It's described over in Galatians chapter 5, verse 20, uh, 19 to, to 21, basically, I'll read for you, as the works of the flesh. It's, uh, Paul writes there, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. And he goes on with the list there. Uh, also in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4, it tells us, Paul instructs us, and he says, you know what? God's love is not jealous. And now we serve a jealous God, but his love is not jealous. In other words, it's not, it's not sinfully jealous. Uh, because it says in, in chapter 13, verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not what envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at the wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So there's a difference between jealousy and envy, but for our subject tonight, we're going to be looking at jealousy. And the one thing that we see here in our study as we begin to read through chapter 18 is the first thing in verses 1 through 9, jealousy develops when people respond to others more than they respond to you. So if you have people responding favorably to others more than they are to yourself, that has a, a tendency to develop jealousy. And you see that in the first four verses, or follow along as I read them, verses 1 through 4 of First Samuel chapter 18. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, that is David, the son of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return uh, to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And so there was an affection here that Jonathan had for uh, David, and that caused obviously a a jealousy to well up in the heart of Saul. He could see this going on right before him, but you also see it in the achievements of David. You see what David did in verse five. Look at what it says. It says, "And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him." Why was he successful? God was with him. The Spirit of the Lord was with him. Remember, it wasn't with Saul anymore. So you had David rising in his relationship with the Lord and his success for the Lord, and you had Saul declining. (laughs) He didn't want anything to do with God, and you see the results. And so it says there that David, when I was successful, wherever Saul sent him. So guess where Saul sent him? Hey, I want you to be over the men of war. That's a pretty good decision if you think about it. 
He assessed the people that were around him. David was one of them, and he realized, hey, this guy is very successful because obviously the Lord is with him, so I'm going to put him in charge of all the armies <laughs> so we don't have issues. Because as a king, that's one of his roles is to protect the people from harm from their enemies and delegate that to David, who had an awesome track record at doing this, and uh, we won't have any issues. So he saw the achievements that David was able to make because the Lord was with him. But he also, the end of verse 5 there, says that he saw the acceptance of David of all the people, by all the people. It says, and this was good in sight, in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So you begin to see kind of this competition brewing in the heart of Saul, not in the heart of David, in the heart of Saul. David's just doing what he's asked to do. He's just doing what the Lord asked him to do. He's doing what Saul asked him to do. Okay, put me over the the men of war. I'll deal with that. And and he was very successful at it. Well, the people looked at that. They already saw him take out Goliath, who no one would dare even do. And he did it all by himself. So immediately, he was getting all this adulation from all the people. And uh, Saul, as he was reigning as king, began to see this. And any king... Uh, most kings are insecure in their kingship. They always realize, okay, uh, my reign could be over. Make one wrong move. Somebody, there's an insurrection, something. They're very insecure people. That's why if you say anything against most kings, what do they do? They cut your head off. Gone with the problem. They just wipe you out. And that's how they dealt with things. Well, we also see here in verses 6 to 9 that Saul had some, was beginning to have some attitudes He had some issues. And so, um, in verse 6, it says, As they were coming home when David returned from striking down the Philistine, after the, it's kind of a flashing back here to when when he took out Goliath, okay. Saul noticed this when David was returning home. The women came out of all the cities of Israel. They were singing, they were dancing, kind of a big parade celebration to meet King Saul with tambourines and songs of joy with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul, the problem was not that they were singing, the problem was what they, what they sang. Saul has struck down his thousands because Saul was a warrior. I mean, God did grant him that earlier on. And then it says, and David his, what? Tens of thousands. So the women are saying, well, that's cool. Saul did that. We'll give him that. But, you know, David, man, he's far superior. And it says the first attitude issue that Saul began to have was in verse 8. It says, Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. Now, the one thing you never want to do is displease the king, right? But that's exactly what they did because of his anger. And that's what jealousy does, right? Jealousy creates um, issues where really there shouldn't be an issue. And so Saul began to have this, this anger issue. And it says there that the reason was, is, and he said, they have ascribed to David 10,000, and to me they have ascribed thousands. So, it's kind of whining. I can't believe they would say this. 
you know, I'm the king, even though they weren't saying anything that wasn't true, right? I mean, this is a true statement. But see, that's what jealousy does. It, it blinds us to the truth. And this is what Saul's issue was. He was mad. He was angry because they were honoring uh, David in a greater way than himself. But then also because David was a threat to his leadership. He says, and what more can he have but the kingdom? David didn't want it. He, He was a pretty humble guy. He didn't, he wasn't, that wasn't what he was plotting. He wasn't maliciously out there you know, getting people on his side and, okay, when I come in, you know, make sure you say this. And No, he wasn't doing that. He was doing exactly what God called him to do, and he was doing exactly what King Saul told him to do. And yet, when people honored him as a result of that, uh, Saul was threatened. He thought somehow David had a uh, wrong motive here, maybe, and that's what is a result of pure jealousy. It causes, the last thing here is suspicious. It says, and Saul eyed David from that day on. Uh, that word kind of means give you the stink eye. You know, it's somebody that is uh, not, uh, not very trusting. They're kind of eyeing you in a way that, uh, uh, you know, if you've, if you've ever been accused of anything and the people are eyeing you they're suspicious of you that's exactly what Saul was doing to David you know rather than look and say wow this guy's given us a great great blessing here he's he's beaten all of our enemies he's doing exactly what I'm asking him to do jealousy turns all that good stuff into a suspicious angry individual um and when you think about your own life, if you've ever had been the victim of jealousy or had been jealous yourself, you can attest to that's exactly what happens. You know, um, sometimes people get, get jealous over the silliest things. It's, uh, you know, it could be something as simple as somebody else coming up and commenting on, on something you're wearing or whatever or whatever, and the other person you're with gets jealous, and you go, I can't control what they said, you know, I can't control, you know, I'm just, whatever, and it's just kind of a silly thing, but that's what jealousy does, it, it, it develops when people respond to others more than they respond to you, well, the second thing jealousy does is it destroys our ability to react properly to the blessings of others, in other words, when people are being blessed, when people are, uh, you know, whether it be material blessings, spiritual blessings, whatever, relationship blessings, and, but we're not getting blessed, jealousy causes the, really the inability to be happy for that person. You know, a jealous person would look at somebody that, you know, just inherited a million dollars, and wow, why should they get it and not me? You know, and they would begin to plot how to take that money from them because they don't feel that they should have it. Or, you know, it could be a relationship. It could be whatever. And so jealousy destroys our ability to react properly. Uh, James chapter 3 
verses 14 to 16 says this, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual. It's even demonic, James says. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. You show me a couple where just one of of the individuals in the relationship is jealous in a negative way. And I'll show you a relationship that is definitely disorderly and messed up. Jealousy doesn't help relationships. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 17 to 18 tells us this, Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, banned hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. And the idea there is that, you know what, you're, you're wishing ill on someone else. That's, that comes out of a heart of jealousy. And really, a, a jealous heart is a proud heart. Uh, when you stop and think about it, that's, that's really the kind of heart that it comes out of. Well, look at verses 10 and 11. Because you see here harmful, how, how harmful jealousy can be because literally Saul loses control of his emotions here. In verse 10, the next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house until David was playing the lyre as he did by day by day. Remember, he was there by, by Saul's invitation. The servant said, hey, why don't we have somebody come and play an instrument for you? Maybe that'll calm you down. You know, you, you seem like you're being tormented here. And uh, we know this guy, David. He's, he's a shepherd boy. He plays pretty good. Let's bring him in and see what he can do for you. Well, every time that would happen, boy, it would just bring a calming effect. And the ill spirit would leave. And so this was going on. This was the kind of relationship they had. And you think that Saul would be thankful when, when David showed up. But it says, even though it happened day after day, this time, it says Saul had a spear in his hand. And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David was able to evade him twice. So David must have been pretty uh, smooth on his feet, pretty quick on his feet, being a shepherd boy, maybe out there running around the rocks or whatever. He's pretty agile. And uh, he's playing his lyre. He's dancing around. Saul hurls a spear at him. Twice this happened. I mean, think about it. And yet he continues to, I mean, one time would have been good enough for me. I would have been, okay, I'm out of here. You know, the king's throwing spears at me. But you know what? David was there at his request. He just continued to do what he was told to do. And here is Saul completely losing, losing it. And that's what jealousy does. It causes us to think irrationally. It causes us to think in ways that we wouldn't normally do that. And sometimes you can even see that. You see people come together for counseling. If you're dealing with you know, a jealous relationship to some degree, you begin to talk to them. And you know, at first it's angry, and, and you know, they kind of get all emotional. And then you land basically, you know, you married this person. Do you still believe that this person loves you? Well, yeah. Well, okay. Well, I mean, can we just kind of move? Okay. And then and everything's fine. The, the rational thinking comes back into the relationship when the jealousy is kind of dealt with. But here, Saul lost control of, completely of his emotions. And then in verse 12, it says, Saul was afraid of David 
because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul was beginning to figure this out a little bit, that the Spirit of the Lord is no longer with him. He's having issues with all kinds of things in his life. This is just one of them. This evil spirit comes from the Lord, and, and it says that he torments Saul to some degree. And then here's David who comes and plays this instrument and is able to soothe him. And, you know, he's successful in everything he does. I haven't asked him to do one thing he couldn't do. He took out Goliath all by himself. All the, the women are in love with him. I mean, everybody thinks this guy is great. And David knew, or Saul knew why David was successful. Because he says right there, because the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. Now remember, Saul used to be a warrior. Here he's afraid of this little shepherd boy who's playing a little liar in front of him. I mean, it's kind of a, 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 a crazy scenario. But Saul thinks, well, I'll just, I'll just take him out. But David's able to, you know, evade him twice. And so David, Saul begins to think, wow, this, 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 this individual is someone to be dealt with. Uh, now he's really feeling threatened, and he's feeling not a whole lot of confidence in his ability to throw a spear or anything else. And then in verses uh, 13, it says, So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and he came in before the people. So what does this, this mean? It says there in verse 14, And David had success in all his undertakings. Why? Because the Lord was with him. So Saul's thinking, you know what? I don't want this guy playing this little instrument here anymore. I mean, I can't even get him with a spear. I'll, I'll send him out in the battle. I won't just put him over. I'll, I'm going to put him over a thousand, a, a regiment of people. And he'll, he'll go out there, and, and he gave him kind of a, a military, you might say, command, commission. MacArthur says it was kind of an honorable way of exiling somebody. Just get this guy out of my presence. You know, winning, winning. That's all he's doing. He's winning. He's, get him out of here. I can't deal with it. Here I am. I can't even keep my, my, myself together. And uh, this little shepherd boy is coming into here and, and disrupting everything. Get him out of here. But the Lord was with David, and he had success in all his undertakings. And then in verse 15, we see here, he lost courage. He not just lost his confidence, but he was, he was fearful in the presence of David. It says in verse 15, And when Saul saw that he had great success, when he saw that David was successful, no matter what he told him to do, okay, go do this, all right, fine. Maybe he'll get killed out there. Now he comes back, and boy, he's just incredibly successful. It says that he had great success. He stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David. For he went out and came in before them. You know, that, that whole idea of him going out and, and coming in before them, it's the idea that he's not, se- he's not separating himself like King Saul did. You know, I mean, remember, all, the, all the, the people were huddled back here, and Saul was not leading, he wasn't doing anything, there was disarray in Israel, the Philistines were causing problems. David shows up. Well, why doesn't he just go take this guy out? 
Oh, yeah, right. So he tells Saul, hey, I'll go do it. Nah, I can't let you do that. Oh, yeah, no problem. And he goes and he does it, and he's successful. And so he's, he's definitely a threat at this point to, uh, to David, or to Saul. David is a, is a threat to Saul. And he, Saul lost the courage even to stand before him. In other words, he was in, in so much uh, torment, questioning himself. He just lost all confidence that even the presence of David was, was causing fear to rise up in his, in, his, in his heart. And yet there was still a great, almost a respect there. Uh, you know, God will bring people to you who will provide the love that you need. That's how God works. We, we don't need to, to worry about things like that. God will provide exactly what we need. Um, there's a lot of words for fear or for being afraid here. But the one used here, it appears just ten times. It appears over Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22. It says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, in other words, a prophet makes a prophecy, but it falls short. It doesn't actually come to come to pass it says that is a word that the lord has not spoken the prophet has spoken it presumptuously you need not be afraid of him that's that's the same same word there that's being used over in psalm 22 verse 23 it says you who fear the lord praise him all you offspring of jacob glorify him and stand in awe of him all you offspring of israel it's the same concept this is what Saul was doing before David. He was in kind of fearful awe when he was in his presence. And that's not a good position to be in when you're a king, right? I mean, you don't want to be fearful of anything. You, you need to show strength. Well, he wasn't able to do that anymore because the Spirit of the Lord had left him. He had no strength in and of himself. So therefore, kind of the whole, the whole boat's sinking rather quickly for Saul. And he's being... Kind of tormented on every side at this point. Even those who were there to provide comfort, David himself. Uh, he can't deal with that. And then in verse 17, you see here where jealousy devises plans to put down others. Uh, look at verse, verse 17. It says, Then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter Merib. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, here's his motivation, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So what's he doing? He's setting up David for a fall. Down in verse 22, it says, And Saul commanded his servants, Speak to David in private and say, Behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then, become the, the, the king's son-in-law. So this plan of Saul was really one of, of lying. He should have already had the daughter because he killed the, the, the Goliath. That was the, the deal. But now Saul's kind of changing things up. He's being deceptive. And the reason he wants to do this is to send him out in the battle. Maybe he'll get killed. Um, and that's basically what, what he says there in verse uh, uh, 17b, let let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. 
So he's thinking, all right, if I can't kill this guy, they can. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give him my daughter, and then, you know, I'll make it out to like he's my son-in-law, and he has to protect all of us, and then we'll send him out there, and surely he'll die. That's the plan. But down in verse, all the way down in verse 29, if you look at that, it says, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. So Saul comes up with this great scheme, and it only ends in being, causing him more paranoia and more torment. So his little scheme uh, doesn't work out at all. Because if you, if you read through the, the thing here, look at what happens. It says, for Saul, uh, or verse 18, and Saul said, David said to Saul, who am I? And who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be a son-in-law to a king, to the king? But at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should be, have given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Mahathalite, for a wife. So he changed everything up. Changed the, the whole scheme of this thing. And now in verse 20 it says, Now Saul's daughter, Michal, loved David. And they told Saul, and that and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him. So we don't know what was going on with, <laughs> with uh, uh, th- this daughter, Michal, but she sincerely loved David, and maybe she was a troubled child or something, and, and somehow... Saul thought, well, that's good because you know, nobody can deal with this lady. Let, let, let David deal with her. Um, I think it was Jonathan Edwards who had, I think it was Jonathan Edwards who had a daughter who was kind of very, very difficult. And several men asked to marry her several times. And finally, he, he, I don't have the quote in front of me, but he actually wrote, he said, no one should be able to marry this woman. I mean, it's about his own daughter, he said this. She was so difficult. He said, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. And, and that's kind of what, what Saul's doing here, right? He's like, yeah, maybe this lady would be a snare to him, that she may be a snare for him, and the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private. Okay, let's create this false illusion that I like David. Behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. The servants probably loved him, but Saul didn't. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke those words to the ears, in the ears of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? You can see that, that David wasn't some pious, prideful individual. He was really kind of being wise about this thing. Verse 20, 24, And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David. I mean, they're not even on speaking terms. You notice this? I mean, this is his future son-in-law, and they're not even speaking. They're going through other people. You know, if that's the kind of relationship you have, you, know, you might want to stop and say, Wait, red flag here. This might not be a good situation. Um, and Saul said, Thus you shall speak to David. The king desires... No bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. Now, this is just a weird chapter in the Bible. I mean, 
actually trying to find information on this chapter is kind of difficult because most people just skip over it. It's just, a, I mean, think about it. What, what kind of perverted, sick mind? <laughs> okay, yeah, you have my daughter, but you know, you got to bring 100 foreskins of the Philistines. I mean, it's just bizarre. You know, how about cut off their thumb or their legs or something? You know, it's foreskin. It's kind of bizarre. And then it says here uh, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So you know what? Maybe this guy can get these guys to, you know, he can go there and maybe with his sword cut off an arm or a thumb or a leg or whatever. But, I mean, to bring back the foreskin... You really got to do battle with these guys. Okay, so he's definitely going to fall. This is not going to work. And it says, verse 26, And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. In In other words, no problem, I got this. Before the time had expired, look at verse 27, David arose and went along with all his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought all their foreskins which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter, Michal, for a wife. So David says, okay, you want 100? You know what? I'm going to top that. I'm going to bring you 200. So I don't know if David's kind of picking up on the kind of undercurrent of, of, Joel, of Saul's insecurity here or whatever. Maybe he knew, I don't know, maybe God gave... David some wisdom in the insight of, of Saul and realized this guy was out for his head and thought, I'll show him. I don't know. But it's just a weird, weird story. And uh, then look at what happens. This is what's, what's, what's really bizarre here because um, he brings back these, these foreskins and David brought the foreskins all in number to the king. Saul gave the daughter Michal for a wife, thinking, okay, this, this is definitely going to do him in because uh, you know, nobody can, can deal with this person. Well, look at what happens. But when, uh, but when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. In other words, there was nothing Saul could do to get rid of this guy. Because why? The hand of the Lord was with him. You know, and he had this little shepherd boy just kind of going along, okay, well, just do this. It says in verse 30, Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, look at this, David had more success than all the servants of Saul. And all the people saw it. So even Saul's bitterness and jealousy and all this ill feelings toward David didn't make any sense to most of the people. They're like, why would you kill this guy? He's helping us the most. So that his name was highly esteemed. And that's where you have all this jealous rage almost just kind of formulating in Saul's heart to the point where in verse 19 we we see what begins to happen here and this kind of this chapter deals with the blessings of friendship still deals with some of the jealousy here going on but in verse in chapter 18 mostly 
we're dealing with the dangers of jealousy, but here we're dealing with the blessings of friendship. It's really a reminder of Proverbs 18.24, this chapter, chapter 19 and 20, where it talks about there's a friend who sticks closer to a brother than a brother. And so the question is, what's involved in that kind of friendship? What does that kind of friendship look like? Well, the first thing it does, it has a strong commitment. It consists of a strong commitment. And we see this in verses 1 to 7 of chapter uh, 19 there, uh, to be a loyal friend. Um, First of all, we need to know that we need to love your friend as you love yourself. That's what makes a good friend. You don't want a friend who, who loves themselves more than you. I mean, because you'd always be questioning their motive. But when you know your friend loves you more than their self, boy, if they give you advice, if they want to give you something, whatever, you, you're not questioning their motives. You, you, you know that they sincerely love you. And so, you know, there's various scriptures that point this out. But look at verses uh, 1 through 7. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants. And here's what he said. <laughs> you should kill David. And they're probably scratching their head going, what? This guy has lost his mind. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And so what did he do? He told David. Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. So he's trying to rationalize this, have a rational conversation with his nutty dad, basically. And that was cause for concern. Because remember, he's the king before he's Jonathan's dad. And so if Jonathan were to say ill against the king, he could have his head cut off just as easy as anybody else. And so in verse 5, it says, For he took his life in his hand, speaking of David, and he struck down the Philistines. So he's saying, hey, do you remember what this guy did for you? And the Lord worked a great salvation for all of Israel. You saw it. And you actually rejoiced, Dad. You were, you were part of this. You, you thought this was great. Why then would you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And so Saul is willing to listen uh, to, to Jonathan. Uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 18 to 22, it tells us this. Likewise, Paul says, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. This is exactly what Jonathan is telling Saul about David. Verse 21 Philippians 2 says, For they all seek their own interests, but not those of Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how a son, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. See, this is, is Paul speaking of Timothy in a way that, that just makes him shine. And that's what Jonathan's doing with 
his dad, King Saul, about David. Uh, Solomon, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, say this. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It flashes, its flashes are flashes of fire and the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Okay, there's something to be said about the blessings of friendship, about having someone who's proven their worth to you. And, and this is what Jonathan is trying to explain to his dad. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, it says this, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with all that you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know, that was really David's heart. He figured, you know what? This guy could have ill will toward me. I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to be obedient. I'm just going to trust the Lord to do this. And yet you see on the other side of it, you see someone like Saul who's just filled with rage and jealousy. And uh, he, 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 he doesn't um, provide a faithful friend uh, for David. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, it says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful for what? For he cannot deny himself. You know, when we think of a faithful friend, we should think of, first and foremost, who? The Lord. That's what these verses are talking about. Um, 2 Timothy 4, 16 to 18. At my first defense, no one came, Paul says, to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Or Second Peter is another verse, a set of verses that talks about the faithfulness of God as, as, our, as our friend. Uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 5, His divine power has granted to all of us things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you might become partakers of His divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of the sinful desire for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and with brotherly affection, love. So there's something to be said of having that friend that sticks closer than a brother, you know, somebody who's always going to be there. And that's what Jonathan is trying to explain to his dad here. It's just that it doesn't seem like he's getting it. Um, and so when you, you, you look here at, at verses, uh, down at verse 11, or where do we, or verse, uh, where do we leave off? Verse 5? Yeah, he took down the, okay. Uh, verse 6, And Saul listened to the word of Jonathan. As the Lord lives, Saul says, He shall not be put to death. 
So he kind of reasoned with him. You're thinking, okay, well, maybe there's some hope for this guy, Saul. And then in verse 7, and Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. So it's kind of like, okay, well, let's just forget about all this, and we'll just go back to the playing the flute and the lyre, or whatever you're doing, dancing around, help me out here. And then it says in verse 8, and there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. So once again, he's successful. But then here's that harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul, and he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. This time he's premeditating this thing. This is how bad it gets. And as he sat in his house with a spear in his hand, and David was playing the lyre, and David sought to pin David, Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. So once again, Saul tries to kill David. David, or Saul doesn't give up. Saul... 11, Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him. So he sent out spies that he might kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. She knew what was going on here. So Michal let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. Michal took an image and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with with clothes. So here you have this Mikhail kind of setting up this probably a household idol, put the covers over it so it looked like David was sleeping, put some goat's hair there, covered it with some clothes. Verse 14, and when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, oh, sorry, he's sick. (laughs) Verse 15, then Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed, that I may kill him. So now I got him. He's sick. He's in bed. Just bring the whole bed up here, and I'll just slice and dice him right up. This is going to be easier than I thought. Uh, And then in verse uh, 16, And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed, and the pillow of goat's hair at its head. Saul said to Michal, why have you deceived me thus? And let my enemy go so that he has escaped. And Michal answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? So kind of runs in the family here. Uh, She suggests that, you know, she was afraid of her own life. Um. I think that it was it was kind of over at this point, but it says that uh, verse eighteen. Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel. So Samuel comes back into the scene here at Ramah, and David told him all that Saul had done to him. Like, what'd you get me into, man? You're the guy that crowned me this king, and now I'm fear of my life. What's going on? And he said, and he and Samuel went, and he lived at Naoth. And it was told, Saul, behold, David is at Naoth uh, in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as head over them, 
the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul. So Saul sends her messengers to, to kind of take out David there, and all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord comes upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesy. Kind of a supernatural thing here that's going on. Verse 21, when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers. I mean, can you see Saul's... I mean, you know, Saul's not a good guy here, but you can kind of understand his frustration at this point. He is doing everything to take this guy out. And at every turn, it's not working. And he's literally losing his mind as we read through this. And so he sent other ones. They also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time. They also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in uh, Saku, and he asked, where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they are at Naoth and Ramah. And he went there to Naoth and Ramah. And the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes. And he too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? So you see this, this, this friendship develop here, and it's a strong commitment to love, to be loyal. That's what, that's what friendship is all about. But we also see here this concern for his safety and his well-being from his wife and also from Samuel himself. Uh, it's, it's kind of an odd situation. It's almost at this point, I feel like God is mocking Saul. <laughs> like, you really want this guy, but here's what's going to happen. You know, my spirit's actually going to come upon you, and you're going to probably, even though you hate me, I'm, I'm going to make you do this. And it's just kind of a weird, weird situation. Very odd. And, uh, and that brings us to this chapter 20. We have, we have these people kind of almost mocking Saul. Oh, is Saul also among the prophets? And in chapter 20, one of the things that a, a blessed friendship is, is it results in honest communication. So look at verses 1 to 13 with me. It says, Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? In other words, help me out here, Jonathan. I mean, you say you're my friend. What, what's going through your dad's mind? And he said to him, far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So David is, is coming to understand what the situation is really all about. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. What a friend. I mean, this is, you're talking about the, the guy that's against him is their dad, his dad. But he says, whatever you say, I will do it for you. Verse 5, David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I shall not fail to sit at the table with my king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say 
then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all his clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. So he's given Jonathan the ability to kind of discern what's going on in his dad's mind. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself. In other words, David's honest about it. He's saying, hey, I've done something wrong. Let me know. For why should you bring me to your father? Verse 9, And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? If he's upset. Verse 11, Then Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, will be, uh, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if, it is well disposed toward, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. I don't know if that's a blessing or curse right there, but I mean, you know, when you stop and think about it, it it's kind of a uh, honest conversation they're having there with each other. They're kind of going back and forth in this. And then you see the enduring companionship here in verse 14. If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my, my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. Now remember, one of the enemies of David is who? His dad. I mean, this, this, this guy is the real deal. I mean, he's really got a, a sincere love here. Verse 17, And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. It's like the third time we've heard that. So uh, it, it was a very special uh, relationship they had. You know, the one thing that, that 1 Corinthians thirteen eight says, that love never fails. And that's the kind of love that you need in this kind of relationship. You, you realize that, wow, this is something that, that needs to uh, really be prolonged. And so even even to death. Um, and then in verse 18 here, you see this counsel. And Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy, saying, Go and find the arrows. If I say to the boy, Look, the arrows are on this side of you, take them. Then you are to come. For as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, Look, the arrows are beyond you, 
then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So they have this 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 kind of special relationship going on here. Verse 24, So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon came and the king sat down to eat, the king sat on his seat, as at other times, by the seat, on the seat by the wall, Jonathan sat opposite, Abner sat by the, the Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. Verse 27. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal? either yesterday or today. And Jonathan answered, so David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now I have found, so now if I have found favor in your eyes, <clears throat> let me go away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Verse 20, here you see, the, or verse 30, you see the motivation. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. So he insults his mother. (laughs) Uh, Do I I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Verse 32, then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spirit as if to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death because he tried to kill him. (laughs) And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger. So now Jonathan's ticked off and ate no food for the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with uh, David and with him a little boy. And he said to his uh, boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran he, ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap, fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times and then kissed, and they kissed one another and wept with one another, and David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and he departed, and Jonathan went into the city. So you see this compassion, you know, that that is involved here. Um, but it, it's kind of a, a interesting couple chapters that we see uh, before us and so next week we'll look at verse uh, chapter 21 
and continue with this uh, this story. But uh, pretty pretty interesting illustrations there of the dangers of jealousy and the blessings of of friendship.